You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. A lot of our history is shared in relationship to war. In fact, the earliest of all historical records, an artifact from Babylon, shows soldiers fighting in close battle order, all with shields and helmets. Listen, there's always been war. Why is that? Because there's always been sin. There's always been envy. There's always been jealousy. There's always been covetousness, right? There's always been sin. All throughout humanity, there's been wars and violence against other groups of people. Today, Pastor Mike will be explaining how the most ugly aspects of humanity all stem from the flesh nature in mankind. Even the worst aspects of creation itself also derive from the sinful nature of mankind. The moment sin entered the world, mankind and creation became immediately tainted with the destructive nature of sin. The only way sin can be forgiven and ultimately removed is by the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 14 as he begins his message, A Call to War. Turn with me, if you will, to where we left off last time, and that would be in Genesis chapter 14. And the text that we're going to be treating this morning is found in verses 1 through 17. So Genesis chapter 14, verses 1 through 17. And this morning's message, the title is, A Call to War. And it came to pass in the days of Amphrael, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elazar, Cheddar, lay Omar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations. And they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, uh, Shemember, king of that name there, and the king of Bela, that is Zorah. All of these joined together in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Cheddar Laomar, and the kings that were with him came and attacked Rephim in Ashtaroth, Corinium, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shava Kirithim, oh man, and the Horites in their mountain of Seir as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mispat that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites, 
and also the Amorites, who dwelt in Hazion Tamar, and the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Siddim against Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of El-Azar. Okay, got that right. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of asphalt pits, and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abraham's brother, more uh, exact, his nephew, who dwelt in Sodom, his brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abraham the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebrinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite brother of Eshcol, and brother of Anor, and they were allies with Abraham. And when Abraham heard that his brother or his nephew was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobab, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley, after his servants from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. First of all, I want to begin with an observation. Nothing is as common to the history of the human race as is war. Much of man's history, in fact, is reported in relationship to wars. The earliest historical artifacts often depict the conflicts of their day on etchings, on tablets, right? It's amazing how a lot of our history is shared in relationship to war. In fact, the earliest of all historical records, an artifact from Babylon, shows soldiers fighting in close battle order, all with shields and helmets. Listen, there's always been war. Why is that? Because there's always been sin. There's always been envy. There's always been jealousy. There's always been covetousness, right? There's always been sin. There's always been a rebellion on man's part against God as well as their fellow man. Now, this battle before us here in this text of Scripture that we're treating this morning here in Genesis chapter 14 is part of, think about this, the first recorded war in the history of mankind the specific account of military engagement. Take, let's take a closer look at it. At this time, let's dig in a little bit deeper. At this time, these various eastern kingdoms were small, probably not much larger than city-states. This particular battle involves a few of them. Notice there are a confederation of four kings, according to verse 1, go back to our text. There's a confederation of four kings, representing cities from the area of the Euphrates River against the confederation of five kings, according to verse 2, representing the cities of the lower 
Jordan Valley bordering the Dead Sea, right? The Eastern Confederacy is headed by a fellow whose name was Cheddar Leomar, king of Elam, with the kings of Shinar, El Azar, and Goyim had invaded the Jordan area some years before and had placed the cities of the Dead Sea or along the Dead Sea under tribute. And those cities paid tribute for a period of 12 years. But in the 13th year, they chose to rebel. And thus, they were re-invaded in the 14th year. And really, that sort of is the, the picture that's being played out for us here in this 14th chapter. And history tells us that in this evasion, the Easterners unleashed their fury over the entire region from South Syria to Sinai, brutally annihilating and plundering the area's city. In fact, in the book, the title is Rivers in the Desert, a leading Palestinian archaeologist, the fellow whose name was Nelson Gluick, wrote concerning this subject, investigating what is recorded for us here in this text of Scripture, this area thoroughly reported in that book, I, and I quote, I found that every village in their path had been plundered and left in ruins, and the countryside laid waste. The population had been wiped out or led into captivity, and for hundreds of years thereafter, the entire area was like an abandoned cemetery, hideously unkept, with all its monuments shattered and strewn in pieces lying on the ground. So that's some of the details, some of the background concerning this particular uh, battle. Now, in the midst of this first recorded war in the history of mankind, we find the man of God who's recommended to us as the father of the faith, Abraham. And that should raise a question in our mind. What exactly was it that drew him into this conflict? Well, according to verse 12 of our text, look there, let's go back. It was his nephew Lot. You see, his nephew Lot was taken captive in the sack of the city of Sodom. And thus Abraham pursues the invaders, and in a daring and successful attempt to recover Lot and his possession. So if it wasn't for Lot, he would have never entered into this conflict at all. He would have been absent from it altogether. So what we have before us is a war among competing local chieftains, a major invasion of one area of the world by soldiers from another, and this terrible destruction of the defeated areas by the victors. But what we're most concerned about this morning, here in this text, is the role of the man of God, Abraham, in that struggle. And I want you to think about this. And, th and therein lies the, the value of studying this, because this is not a history lesson. We're not here for, you know, to just talk about history or to share some historical record of things that have happened you know, in the past. We, we want to bring these things uh, down and find the spiritual application. How do they benefit us in our relationship with God? 
in our walk and our relationship with God? What is God's plan for us? And I want you to think about this. And, and I think that one of the ethical issues of our day is whether a Christian can or should participate in war. You know, it's the issue of pacifism, right? Uh, choosing to be a pacifist. I mean, after all, and, and I think some Christians are confused about this issue. And they would appeal to like verses of scripture, for example, Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, in verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And there have been many people that have interpreted this, I think, in the wrong way. Some would say, therefore, according to what is recorded here and other places in the Bible, that we as Christians have no right fighting whatsoever under any circumstances. And it doesn't matter what's at stake, what you lose, whether it be your country, your possessions, your family, or your life, because simply, and this is, this is how they reason this thing out, you know, whatever's happening to us is all a part of simply God's will. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So therefore, we'll just take a passive uh, position and whatever happens, you know, happens. It's sort of like a fatalistic kind of a, an approach. So the question, are we as Christians to fight? Now, I, I want to broaden the application of this message this morning. You know, fighting on behalf of those who are weaker than ourselves, who may be struggling. And, I, you know, I, I want you to also think about the spiritual application of this as well. Not only encountering an enemy on the battlefield physically with arms, but I want you to think about the spiritual realm and application of this as well. Okay? So please keep that in mind as we go through this. So again, here's the question. Are we as Christians to fight? And this is, an, I think, a, a very important question. Well, our text this morning bears great light on this subject and I think provides an answer for us. Now, what is quite obvious here in our text is that Abraham, who we've already established over the last couple of weeks, right? the father of the faith, uh, the man of God, did fight, according to our text. He was prepared to fight. And yes, he was the most peaceful of individuals. Remember, he was a peacemaker. Uh, when faced with the prospect of the, the conflict between his servants and Lot's servants, over the flocks and the herds and the sheep and the cattle and so on, and, and who would have first rights to the watering holds and the best pasture. Remember, Abraham took the lower seat, and it was within his power to, you know, to choose whatever partial of land that he wanted, but rather he takes the lower seat, and he asks Lot to take and make the first choice to avoid any conflict that might exist between Lot and Abraham and Lot's servants and Abraham's servants. So we know that he was a man of peace, right? 
But nevertheless, he was the, we know that he was the most peaceful of individuals, but, but according to our text of Scripture, he also trained, he prepared, he trained the men of his household in the art of self-defense, and consequently, he was ready for this encounter. Notice in verse 14, we're introduced to those 318 men of his. They were ready to go. You know, those 318 men would have been the equivalent of special forces, as we know them today. They were basically Abraham's SEAL team, if you will, right? They were prepared. They were ready to go. Now, someone may be thinking at this point, well, you know, and we've already talked about this in one of our previous studies, when we were first introduced to Abraham, Abraham was nothing like the father of the faith. He was nothing like a man of God. In fact, just the opposite was true of him. He was an idolater. The members of his family were idolaters. And that was the very reason why God had to call him out of the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans, to do the work that he wanted to do in and through Abraham's life. And, uh, and he failed time and time again. He was to continue to go towards the land of Canaan, the land of promise. But he stopped short of that, and we, and we uh, recently found him in Haran. And then during the time of famine, where did he go? In disobedience, he goes down to Egypt during the time of famine. And then he encouraged his wife to lie about her identity. Remember, she was taken, and the prospect of being numbered as one of uh, Pharaoh's harem. And uh, we saw how that whole thing played out, right? So he was, he, when we were first introduced to Abraham, he was nothing like the man of God. So uh, God was working in his life. It was a part of a process, even as when we were first encountered by God, we made our own decision for Christ. We were so far from being the man or the woman of God that you may be today, or the man or woman of God that you may be in the future, because it's all a part of the processes of God, regeneration, sanctification, the work of God's Holy Spirit, conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. So someone at this point may be thinking, okay, he armed these 318 guys of his, these special forces, he went out against this confederation of kings, he went to war, and, and, and again, we're trying to answer the question, is it okay for a Christian to participate in warfare. So someone may be thinking at this point, yeah, but Abraham was not a fully sanctified man yet. Well, I don't know if that has any bearing on our answer this morning. The real question remains, was he in the will of God? And I think the answer to that question is made fairly clear in the next couple of verses. That wasn't a part of our text that we've already read this morning. In verses 18 through 20, when Abraham is successfully returning from defeating this Eastern Confederacy, he is confronted by this interesting character who we are introduced to as Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High, who most people believe and I would be included in that group, was none other than a Theophanes or an appearing of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And I just want to simply back that up before we even read that text of Scripture by what is declared for us in the book of Hebrews. 
When Jesus is being depicted and presented to us as our great high priest, in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6, referring to Jesus, the scriptures tell us there that you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So I personally believe, as well as many other Bible teachers and commentaries, that Melchizedek, this encounter that Abraham had as he's returning successfully from this battle, with this interesting character, Melchizedek, out of the blue, right, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. A theophany is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. So with that said, let's go ahead and read verses 18 through 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, and take note of this, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So, what do we have here then? Well, God himself, through his priest, whether it's Jesus or not, declares Abraham had done the right thing, and that he, that is God, had given him the victory. You see that? Listen, Abraham could have found lots of reasons not to fight, not to seek to deliver his nephew Lot from his fate. As I mentioned before, he could have taken a fatalistic kind of a, an approach and uh, you know, thought, well, you know, we live in this kind of a world and these things are going to happen. They're inevitable. Now, is that the same kind of a position that any of us as Christians should take? You know, when sin seems to be making these great advances in, the, in this generation in which we live? You know, are we to just take the same kind of a position as this fatalistic approach and do nothing about it? I mean, after all, we live in that kind of a world, and things are only going to get worse. So what should we do? Just sit idly by? Sit on our hands and do nothing? Right? I mean, after all, it's inevitable. I mean, if God are, is allowing these kings to conquer the cities of the Dead Sea Plain, well then, who am I to do anything about that? Is that the right position to take as a Christian? I don't think so. Here's another reason Abraham uh, could have chosen not to go to war. Uh, just simply thinking that it wouldn't have been a prudent action on his part. It wouldn't have been prudent for him to get involved. I should just stay where I am in my mountain sanctuary. They don't know that I'm here. For if they did know that I was here, they would have extended their conquest to include me. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. You've been listening to Pastor Mike Finizio here on In My Father's House. He is working his way through the book of Genesis. If you were blessed by today's message and want to pass along the blessing, you can find a link to give to the ministry on our website, harvestnyc.org. We have so much available to you there, including many audio messages and links to streamed messages. 
We stream every Sunday and Thursday service. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. Another way to pass along the blessing is to share the messages with someone else. Maybe God put someone on your heart today as you listened. You can send them the links as well. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. We're easy to find with access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. But if you're from another part of the country or world, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. There is nothing more beautiful than the global body of Christ. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast for daily doses of the word. Just go to Spotify and search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. And then just click follow. Well, we have filled our time for today. Come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house with you.